bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop. Today with my special guest, Jeff Stone King. What's up, John? Glad to have you today. One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries, and uh, many times you hear the negative impact that drugs and crime make on our community. You hear about the fatherless homes, and you hear about the prisons that are full, but what you don't hear about is the radically changed ex-drug addict or ex-convict that's got a hold of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the impact that they make on our communities, and so that's that's our mission here. Uh, we're going to explore uh, unique the unique life of Jeff Stone King, and and we we explore the unique lives of people uh, who have been radically changed by God's grace. And we believe many times, bigger the mess, the bigger the message. Amen. And uh, and so Jeff, it's it's really good to have you on the podcast today. It's an honor. Um, there are people listening on Spotify, uh, on on and also on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page, and so. Uh, we're asking, we prayed before sir, before we came on, and we asked that the Lord would use this to reach people. Amen. And uh, so the podcast is called One Broken Life, and that's kind of our theme, One Broken Life at a Time. It's one of the things that we, you know, kind of catchphrase we use. Uh, and a couple of the scriptures that we use kind of just to set the podcast off right. is uh, Psalms fifty one seventeen. And Psalms fifty one seventeen says, uh, the, the, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit, that God won't deny those things. Um, and so very interesting text um, where it talks about, you know, these people are trying to appease God with a lot of works and um, sacrifices and doing, and God is telling them that he, he doesn't need that, you right. know, that he, he wants a broken heart and a contrite heart and a broken spirit. And so uh, let's talk about your life, Jeff. Um, so what was your, Jeff is a pastor, uh, just real quick, Jeff is a pastor, um, was a homeless man in our, in Springfield, where we're at here in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, so we're going to just kind of explore your, your past here. We're going to do the BC, the before Christ, right. and then we're going to do the, the after Christ. When you, after part two, we'll talk about um, what God has done since you've been saved. And so why don't you just give us a few minutes here talking about life growing up. What was your life like growing up? Well, it, uh, you know, when I, my mom, she uh, had her tubes tied after my brother Brandon passed or was born. And uh, about five months later, he, he dies of sudden infant death syndrome. And uh, 
It's called tubal ligation. And sometimes this happens where the, the tubes become untied. And, and when my brother Brandon died, um, she started getting sick. And then she found out that she was pregnant with me. And so uh, I'm originally from Arizona. I lived there for about 10 years of my life. I'm 35 now. And uh, Arizona, living in Arizona, there, my dad was gone often. Um, he... Uh, traveled a lot he was a he drove a truck over the road one of my earliest childhood memories uh my dad who uh is no longer here nor my mother um thought my mom was cheating on him and uh came home and my she was holding she was holding my brother brian and uh pulled out a little 38 and put it in her mouth and was going to basically you know murder her right in front of us and so that, that's the type of an environment that I grew up in. And they both used drugs. And uh, from, from that, they wanted a, a new life. And so they packed up everything. And, and uh, we uh, moved to Missouri back in 1996 in a little uh, town called Diggins, Missouri. And uh, my dad bought a farm um, just right outside of Fordland. And... Uh, you know, things were going good. And uh, around that time, though, my, my parents had to file bankruptcy. And uh, we moved from Fordland to Willard, Missouri. And, uh, you know, my dad was the type of person who smoked marijuana. Um, there was, you know, they both used uh, prescription pills. Um, and, and so there was a lot of drugs in, in around my life. And my brothers and my sister life we there's drugs everywhere so that's how it was growing up yeah. so well it's a environment i can understand you know very well from my past as well you know there's a lot of people listening that can understand that yeah but there's a lot of people listening that can't and so that's one of the very important reasons why we have this so we can explore the details of people's lives because when somebody sees a homeless guy that's strung out on drugs or someone in the, you know, can't stay out of jail because right. they keep doing, you know, crime that's influenced by drugs and alcohol or addiction, they don't realize that the past that comes with that, right? Those intimate details. Somebody does it just end up that way. It, it has to start earlier, and it's usually in the environment that that their, their upbringing, you know, I wouldn't say that my parents caused me to be the way that I was when I was an adult, but um, learning that behavior played a role in, in later in life. Sometimes so, it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't, right? Yeah. Sometimes you've got people who are great parents. I think I've got a couple I can think of that the father was a lawyer and the mother was is it was and is one of the best people I've ever met right. in my life, and they have. A handful of kids. Two of them are lawyers. One of them is just a great stay-at-home mom, and then the other one has struggled with addiction. And uh, and so you know, it's it's mystery. Mm -hmm. And I tell folks all the time that addiction doesn't care where you come from, doesn't care what color your skin is, it doesn't care about your ethnicity or your you know your economic background. It just it, it affects all of us, right? Um, and so why don't you just as we talk, we're talking about your childhood here. Uh, when did your drug use start? So I remember living in Willard, and I my my brothers were older than I, and uh, so was my sister, and so they begin you know they in high school, 
um, they would go to parties and, and I would tag along. And uh, when I, I remember being 15 years old and uh, I would be going to parties with, with people probably around five to six years older than I was. And uh, it, it began with drinking. Um, and then one day I, I remember we, my brother Justin lived in a trailer and my parents lived in a, another trailer right next door to each other. And uh, it was around that time where I started smoking marijuana. And uh, I wanted to, you know, I wanted my dad to accept the fact that I was smoking marijuana. And uh, for whatever reason, it seems like a contradiction there. My dad smoked pot, but he didn't want me smoking pot. And so I, uh, my, my brother and I, we, uh, we rolled up a joint and we went over there. And, uh, and uh, I thought he was going to slap me, but I just lit it up. And uh, from that point on, we began to, you know, use drugs together. We used meth. We, you know, everything. And so um, that around 15 years old, that's when I began to use drugs and, <clears throat> and drink. So uh, one of the things that we teach is uh, maturity attracts maturity and, and, and immaturity attracts immaturity. Uh, maturity is security and immaturity is insecurity. And right. so um, a lot of times people who use drugs and alcohol, uh, you start at 15. Mm -hmm. And so when you get clean and you start trying to turn your life around, your maturity level is a 15-year-old. And so I would you, believe that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fact because uh, you can take two men that are, say, in their 30s, same age, you put them next to each other, and uh, – the person, say you got one that's, you know, started using drugs as, as a teenager, and then, you know, young man, 15, 14, 13, whatever, and then you got a man who's never used drugs and alcohol, who's the same age, you put them next to each other, and they're not alike. Right. And, and you know, they, they're, they're, they're not the same. And so it has a lot to do with that. I looked at, like, my brother Brian um, growing up. I actually looked up to him because he wasn't doing the same things that I was doing. And uh, when he got out of high school, um, he, he always worked. He works and, and was doing the right, he does the right things, you know, from American standards, you know. Uh, and I, so I always looked up to him, and he was more mature than I ever was, even though I was older than him, yeah. you know. So that's true. Um, so how long have you been clean and sober, Jeff? So I've been clean and sober and set free since uh september of 2014 okay yep awesome so I, I would say seven eight years so what let's talk about your brokenness uh what you know that scripture uh sacrifice of god are broken and contrite broken spirit and a contrite heart oh god uh these things you won't you won't deny and so what brought you to your place of brokenness can we spend about five ten minutes just going over that so when how did you end up there like it was a journey it was a long journey um i gotta start when i was around 18 years or 17 years old i uh sold some kids some pills he had allergic reaction and almost died and uh and that happened at willard and uh i ended up going to jail and then i got put into drug court and uh ended up going to prison um Peggy Davis, I believe she's on the board here with Freeway. Um, 
she signed off on my papers to send me to prison. And then I spent the next 10, 11 years on, on the installment plan, uh, just in and out of prison, in and out of jail, um, in and out of drug treatments. It just went on and on and on. And uh, by the time 2014 came in, uh, my, I didn't have anything to do with my family any longer. I lost everybody. My family, my dad and my mom both stopped using drugs by that time. Uh, my brothers and my sister, none of them wanted anything to do with me. Um, I wasn't working. I was, you know, on the run um, because I, I was on parole and probation at the same exact time, meaning I was on dual status with the state of Missouri. Right. And, uh, and then I had new charges. And so um, I absconded from everything, and I was jumping from house to house to house, couch to couch to couch. And uh, it was there in Ozark, Missouri, um, at the lowest point in my life, where I literally felt like I was just dead inside. That's what it left, left me. You know, my addiction, that's where it led me, um, where inside I just felt dead. And I tried to get everybody somebody to kill me you know i was too ch i couldn't do it myself um even though the amount of drugs that i was using could have killed me any it you know it could have killed me um i was just angry i had no hope inside i was just lost and that was around um july of 2014 so that's what brought me to my brokenness i had nobody um i was just lost yeah without no hope i remember one of the things we don't ever do is uh, glamorize sin, you know, or, you know, talk about the details and make it look exciting and adventurous, you know. But um, I remember one time uh, I was at a broke, broken, I was low, and uh, I thought I was going to die, you know. My heart was beating so fast I couldn't catch up with my breath. And I couldn't breathe quick enough to catch up with my heartbeat. And my mom was downstairs in my house. I was a teenager, dude. And uh, my mom was downstairs on an oxygen machine. Mm. And she had 200 foot of oxygen. Right. She had a hose. She didn't leave the house for 10 years. Right. She was on that hose. The COPD? Uh, she had emphysema, chronic okay, emphysema. Yeah. And the ball in the machine was past the 10 in the machine. Like she, It was as high as it could go, you know? And uh, she couldn't get upstairs to come to my room. Now, I, I should have been in high school. Uh, I quit. So, um, anyways, I usually would go to the shower to come down. And uh, and the shower didn't work. Mm. And I knew I was going to die. And, you know, I, I, rem I remember that clearly. And I prayed, man. You know, <laughs> I didn't know who I was praying to. Right. But it was, you know, God had been calling me and... Um, I remember those broken times, you know, but it wasn't over yet. You know, it's just, you know, I went, I ended up homeless and, uh, and then I, I remember many times that I thought I was going to die by drugs. You know, I tried to, right. <clears throat> and, and I lived, you know, and it's, it's those broken, broken places God uses. And so Jeff, when you came, when I met you, you were a homeless man and, uh, and you know, you ended up coming to Freeway, and 
uh, I just would like you to talk just a little bit about that, about how you got, you know, because you, you, like you said, you were, uh, you were broken and what brought you to your, your brokenness. And so as we're just kind of talking through that question, um, let's talk about how you ended up at freeway. And I know we're kind of going a little bit out of order, but that's okay. We do that. Right. So, um, explain how you ended up at, at our outreach. So around, um, I would say May of 2014, the Lord really began to work on my heart. And, uh, because I was at the lowest point in my life. Like How old were you? I was uh, 28, well, 27 at the time. And so um, I was jumping from couch to couch, and uh, they're at a trap house. If you don't know what a trap house is, that's where, for the listeners, that's where, you know, we just basically, we sold drugs out of. And uh, my drug dealer of all people, gave me a Bible. And I have no clue why I did it, but God's sovereign. And inside that Bible, it said to Jeff from Greg, the first day of the rest of your life, read it, learn it, live it, and forget the rest. So I started reading it. And, uh, you know, I wanted out of that lifestyle so bad. And so I left that house and I went to my brother Brian's house. And uh, he said I could, he wouldn't allow me to stay there. And so I, I, I went back to this house and uh, stayed there a couple more days. And I just knew if I didn't get out of this, I needed to come get out of there. And so I, I knew if I showed back up at my dad's house, what he would do was call the police and, uh, because he told me. And my dad wasn't the type of person to just say something flippantly. When he said it, he's gonna, that's what would happen. And so I, I, I didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, I've, I, you know, I've slept underneath the outside and with a tree over my head and a rock as a pillow, jumping from couch to couch, just homeless. And my family didn't want nothing to do with me. And I was just tired of running. And, uh, and so I went to my dad's for help. And, uh, what did he do? He called the police and I went to jail for whatever reason. Um, you know, with my prior me being on parole, uh, I had backup for my probation, and then I had um, new charges. The judge um, allowed me to get out of jail. I have no clue why, but he did. And uh, and then I, I didn't have nowhere else to go because I was supposed to do uh, house arrests. And uh, so I went back to that, that trap house in Ozark, and... Uh, it was there that I just, I knew that if, if I was ever going to, if there was ever going to be a change in my life, I couldn't be in that position. I couldn't be around that. Um, and so I just called out to God. I said, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever it takes. Um, just help me. And uh, I ended up getting a phone call from the guys that, you know, that does the house arrest before. And I told them my situation, and uh, they just basically said, just show up at court. Don't run. Just show up at court and get out of there. And keep let me know where you're going to. And uh, I ended up walking away from, from every everybody. 
And I, I, I was walking down East Street, North Kearney, here in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, I was going to go to I-44, and I was going to just skip out of town. I was just going to run. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, I, I was walking, and, you know, I could look back, and I know it was God now. But I stopped in my tracks, and I looked behind me, and there was a lady, like, doing this. And I had that Bible my drug dealer gave. I bagged she it close. She was doing what? She was feeding birds, but she was in her driveway, and she, she waved at me. Okay. And uh, so I turned around and I walked over there and I told her what was going on and, and she allowed me to stay on the back porch of her house with a tarp over my head. Um, she gave me a, a meal a day. She actually took me to go get my like uh, you know social security card, those types of things. She helped me. And uh, what was her name? Patty Lane and Patricia. And so uh, I, you're listening, Patricia. Good looking out. Thank you, sister. But don't ever take people in your house. <laughs> don't ever do it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were blessed this time. You were blessed. Yeah. And so um, she let me stay on the back porch of her house. With She gave me a tarp, a sleeping bag, and a, a pillow, and she fed me once a day. Well, anyways, these neighborhood kids allowed me to get use their bicycle. I don't know, you know, they just, because I, to look for a job, because I didn't. I had to work. There, There's just something that I, I couldn't sell drugs anymore. I didn't want it that lifestyle. And uh, and I was taking the bike back home to them one day, and, uh, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know where they were at. I was just looking for them. Um, they wasn't at the place where they said they were going to be. And so I was about to paddle this little bike, kid's bike, back to Patty's house, and uh, I just... I decided to go up a couple more streets, and it was on uh, Talmadge and Summit Avenue in North Springfield. Summit Avenue is basically the same road as Baptist Bible College is, and the BBFI, it, it goes right in the middle of it, but more north. And I got to the stop sign, and I looked over, and there was a street sign said, The Link, and there was a guy on his front porch playing a guitar. And I don't know why, I just did. I pedaled right up to him, and that ended up being Justin Whiteley. And uh, long story short, Justin Whiteley ended up taking me in off the streets. Um, by the way, Justin, you're not supposed to do that either. No. <laughs> he did. He took me. You got to be led by the Spirit, though. Yes. He, he took me in off the streets, and the fir first time that I... He, ever went to church in my whole, whole entire life was Crossway Baptist Church. And that's, uh, that happened in September of 2014. So I, I went to jail August of 2014, got out September 1st. And, uh, and then a couple, three weeks later, that's when I met Patty or uh, Patty or it was like a, a week later, I met Patty. And then the, three weeks later, towards the end of September, I met Justin. Justin ended up bringing me to Crossway. And that's where I met Rick and you oh, cool. and uh, Freeway Ministries. Awesome. So that's how I got to Freeway. Cool. Uh, great story. Um, so, and we're totally out of like, we have some notes we go <laughs> off of, just some questions, general questions. But um, 
I just want to just touch on Justin Whiteley and how cool that story is because yeah. I had the privilege of marrying him and his wife, Lisa. And uh, Justin, there used to be a SWAT visit group. They called it SWAT. I don't know what the acronym SWAT was for. Uh, but basically, they would just do cold knocking. Yeah. They would go door to door to door and witness to people. And they witnessed it. They ended up, Tracy Wade and Susan Kuhn ended up knocking on Justin's door and witnessing to him. And uh, he ends up coming to Freeway yes, one he night. he did. And uh, he hits the altar. <laughs> and he gets saved. Amen. And he says, I've got drugs at home. Yes. And I don't have enough, you know what? Uh, cur- strength say, or whatever to get rid of it because <laughs> we're on the mic but he, you know he didn't have enough uh, courage to get rid of it and it kicked out his mom and- yeah and so his mom and her boyfriend were uh, using him and living in his living room and uh, you had to crawl over them to get in the house you know and he uh, he said please can someone come and help me and so we sent we sent two guys over to his house and I said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? He said, yes. And so he ended up kicking his mom out. Yep. And you guys, some of you are going to be upset because he kicked his mom out. But when your mom's the bad influence who is holding you down and, you know, freeloading off of you and bringing drugs around your, your home and stuff and endangering your children, it's a different story. And I'm not saying his mom, you know, did all that, but it was, you know, it wasn't all her fault. But it was not healthy. No, it was not. And so he did it, and he ended up getting saved and throwing his drugs away, and uh, you know, getting all the mess out of his house and giving every all his paraphernalia to our guys. And and now Justin White, Whiteley is a uh, one of the teachers in Awanas at Crossway. Yeah. And his kids are being raised in church. Yeah, he ended up getting uh, full custody of all of his kids. Um, so at the time he was a single father and I believe that happened two and a half years or around, around two years, two and a half years before I actually met Justin, when, uh, I pulled up onto his, his front doorstep and believe it or not, John, he's like, he always tells me, he jokingly says, I thought I was never going to get rid of you. talking about me yeah he's like i thought you were never going to leave you were his oldest kid yeah i was his biggest and oldest kid and then you could hang out with the neighborhood kids all the time like you were all riding bikes bikes together yeah was his kids some of the neighborhood kids you were hanging no 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 but but it we we became rather fond and uh just with his boys and stuff and and uh, if something ever happened to him, I would d- gladly take him underneath my wing. Tommy and Timmy. Yeah. Tommy and Taylor. Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Tommy and Timmy sounds yeah. a little better. Yeah, it does. But uh, let's talk about this. So uh, what was it like trying to get sober on your own? Now, we, we haven't really come to that. I'm, I, you know, I met with Jesus moment just yet, but no. we're going to. So you're here. You're, you're being exposed to the gospel. You're at Justin's. He's bringing you to church. But... What about before that, like your sobriety? What was it yeah. like? Tell us about. So we'll back up to um, whenever I was put into drug court. Um, to me, when when I went to court, one, I remember one of the times when I was told to go to like NA or AA. Um, I didn't want to go by myself, so I brought my dad with me. And uh, my dad ends up getting us kicked out because this he's like, this, this is a joke, you know, one of these things. And so 
admitting that there's this thing called addiction or a problem um, was a no-no. And uh, it was all just a joke. It was all just a game. And, I, and when you met me, that's pretty much how my mentality was. God had to change that. But from, I would say, drug court all the way up until um, getting into plugged in at Crossway and Freeway, um, you know, I didn't, it was a joke. Like I thought being, saying that I was an addict was, was a, was a joke. I, I didn't, I didn't see myself as a, having a problem or issue. Um, but it, whenever it, prior to coming, right prior to coming to Freeway, um, like I knew there was an issue, like I overdosed one time. Um, and in fact, it was in a shower and, uh, I woke up and all my stuff was gone. I didn't, you know, my so-called best friend, um, left me there to die basically. And, uh, you know, I knew there was, there was a serious issue. If I didn't get help, then something was, something was bad is going to happen to me. The problem was like with NA, AA, um, even going to the Department of Corrections four time and the, the jail over 40 times and the 12 different drug treatments, um, whether they were institutional treatments or, you know, out, outpatient treatments, it, they never could change what the real issue was. What was know? the real issue? My heart. Yeah. Um, my, my heart was trying to feed a void. Um, that only Christ could could change, could fix, could feel. And, uh, you know, um, they're good at doing the outward things, but only Christ could change the heart. Yeah. And so um, that's why I was in and out of prison, in and out of treatments, life on the installment plan. Well, did you ever think you'd change? No, I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I literally at the towards uh, my drug dealer giving me that Bible, I thought I was going to die in this state of, of just hopelessness caused by drug, drugs and alcohol and that lifestyle. I remember going to a secular treatment meeting. Uh, I won't name the one I was at, but I was at a, a secular treatment meeting. And it was an outpatient 12-step meeting. And uh, I remember there was a guy, and he'd come in there, and he'd say, I've got 5,472 days clean. Mm. And he was counting them. And I'm not saying you can't count your days. Don't get me wrong. But he was like, you know, they asked him how everybody, how they're feeling and stuff. And he said, homicidal, suicidal. <laughs> he would say that every time. Today, I'm homicidal, suicidal. Mm. He had no joy. He had no peace. He yeah. would, he claimed to be an addict, and that was that was his identity, and he was just white knuckling, and he was miserable, you know, and uh, and that's like that's what the world has as far as you know. Without Christ, that's your that's what your sobriety is going to look like, is being miserable and sober. I remember one of the things that you've said, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but. You could you could still be sober and murder someone. You could still be sober, sober and treat on your wife. You could still be so. It's not the 
the outward things that we do. It's the heart. Right. Our heart is broken. Yeah. It's a, it's a heart condition. Mm-hmm. And addiction is an outward sign of an inward decay. Yeah. And so... Um, like I didn't like just because uh, like you said just because I grew up around that stuff I, my brother Brian he didn't turn out that away like using drugs like I did um, you know so I mean environment so I, let's talk about you said you've been clean and sober since when so as I like to put it I've been set free since 2014 september so you're with justin whiteley uh you're coming to freeway crossway yep so tell us about that moment wow you know i had this experience in jail it was an experience a real experience and when i got out of jail and god led me to looking back god led me to justin whiteley's front doorstep when he took me in off the streets and I got plugged in at Crossway, every time the doors of the church was open, I was there. Um, I, I Every time Freeway was open, I was there. And uh, it was just exciting. Um, my life was changing. I was going to see my parole officer. I was doing some outpatient treatment through higher ground. Um, and, and I was in good standings with the courts and... Um, but when I would do some type of sin, right, when I, when I would do something, I would, I wouldn't have that. I would always doubt that I was saved and, uh, and I would just rub it off. I'm like, whatever, you know, um, look at all this outward appearance. My life is changing, you know, all these external things and, uh, it would go away, but then I'd mess up and I'd have no security, no assurance. And, uh. You're trying to lead up to the point to where I got saved. Is that correct? Yep. So, yes, sir. One day, it was uh, November 14th, 2015. Um, this is really the most broken I've ever been. Um, despite all the places that I've been and, and stuff that I've, I've done, this is when I, I, I was truly broken. My heart, I realized my heart was broken. You preached a sermon about Joshua, and uh, there was a, a guy named Achan, and how Achan's sin, how it affected all these people. And uh, I, that night, for, for whatever reason, it wasn't any other different than any other Saturday night, but for that first time, I really got to thinking how my sin has affected everybody around me, not only just me, but everybody around me. And, uh, and it was just like the Holy Spirit using the word of God to tell me that, hey, you're a sinner. You need to, to acknowledge this in your heart. You know, a lot of people acknowledge it in their mind. Oh, well, yeah, I, I lie, I sin, but I acknowledged it in my heart. And when that reality came, like I, I realized that I'm in trouble. And so I, you gave a third altar call and, uh, I wanted to get out of there, but I couldn't. And, uh, I was white knuckling it, the chair in front of me. And, uh, I'm like, something's got it. So I just walked up to you. I said, John, I'm not saved, 
And uh, what do I do? And uh, you, you said go, and you pointed towards the altar, and and uh, for, I I took I turned from you, and I took my first step towards Jesus, believing in my heart, and that that weight of sin, the shame, the guilt of my sin, in light of God's holiness, lifted off of me, and I also believed at the same time that you know Jesus, and He saved me. At that moment, when I turned from you and I took my first step towards Jesus, I was saved, and uh, it's like my heart has been changed ever since. Amen. That's awesome. Amen. And that was your that was your born again moment. That's when it all happened. Let me ask you a question: When did you realize there was hope for you? Well. I looked around the people that was at church and they had the joy, you know, that they, they had the hope, they had the peace. Um, when I, when I met Justin Whiteley, um, I really knew that, that this could be different. Um, struggling between the street mentality that often people bring into recovery, especially a Christ centered recovery, um, that, that, that needed to change, but it was only going to ever change at the moment that I was truly born again. And so when, when I got saved, um, I, I realized that, you know, there was something within me that was giving me that hope that, that, that I'm, it's going to be different from Amen. this point on. And, uh, and it, I don't deserve it. There's a scripture and, uh, I read it. Just the other day, I forget where I was preaching at. It might have been your church. <laughs> but uh, it says, uh, Romans 5, 3, And not only that, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and per- perseverance, character, and character, hope. Mm. You know, and it, it starts with that. What's it start with? It starts with suffering. It starts with tribulations. It starts with that trial. And that trial produces that endurance or perseverance, and that per- perseverance produces that character, and that character produces so, hope. And that's when you don't quit, right? Like you're going through that stuff, and you're not quitting, and you're being changed, and God has used that in a mighty way. I'm proud of you. Amen. And uh, one of the verses that we really cling to as well is uh, Philippians 1.12. He says, Brethren, I want you to know the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And uh, what what has happened to you has has turned out f- to make the gospel go further. And so, so excited uh, to see what God's going to do next in your life. And Amen. if you've enjoyed this podcast, tune in for next uh, our next podcast, which will be part two. Amen. We're going to cover the, <laughs> the the after Christ section of your life and who you are, what God is doing now as we explore your life, Jeff. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, would you do me a big favor and share it? Share it on whatever device you're listening, your Facebook, uh, you share it on your uh, whatever page that, that you, whatever your social media platform is. That would be awesome. Uh, One Broken Life podcast is a production of Freeway Ministries. If you've enjoyed this and you want to help support us, you could go to freeway-ministries.com and you could be a monthly supporter or a one-time giver and help us reach the hard to reach One Broken Life at a time. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, brother. We'll see you guys next time. All right. See you all later.